Thank you for joining the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is Greg Demchak from Bentley Systems. Greg has been designing and driving the development of immersive digital simulation for architecture, engineering, and construction markets for the last 20 years. Educated as an architect, he transitioned to software design after completing a degree in design computation at MIT. He went on to become a senior user experience designer for the Autodesk Revit product, product manager for Synchro 4D software platform, now owned by Bentley Systems, and currently leads the mixed reality team for Bentley Systems. He's been pushing the envelope of this technology and software for the Microsoft HoloLens and recently built an app for the global launch event of the next generation HoloLens 2. To learn more about the work that Greg and his team at Bentley are doing, visit Bentley.com, B-E-N-T-L-E-Y.com. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. How's it going? It's going fantastic. I want to just say thank you so much for taking the time to join us here. And let's kind of unpack the work that you do at Bentley Systems. From a 10,000-foot view, what do you guys do? Yeah, so Bentley Systems, just to frame that, is a global software company focused on engineering and infrastructure, architecture, and construction software. So it's uh, we basically produce software for the built environment. So anything from bridge design to high-rise construction to infrastructure uh, that needs to be modeled. And uh, and it's a platform that serves that industry uh, across the board. Well, that's a big industry considering there's um, the equivalent of Manhattan, the size of Manhattan being built every single month somewhere in the world. So you work with large infrastructure projects, building skyscrapers, bridges, infrastructure. How does XR fit into that? It's a good question. So the way we see XR fitting into this is, and you'll see this term, it's really becoming, I think, quite popular now in, in the industry, is this idea of the digital twin. And what started out as like 2D drafting and then sort of evolved into 3D models. And then this idea of building information modeling is evolving into this idea of the digital twin, which is that any given building or asset or piece of infrastructure can have a parallel digital representation of itself as a 3D model. And then also now as a 4D model, which is to say that the model evolves and changes um, through time, just like the physical building. And the XR piece is a, is a really cool way to basically bridge that digital and physical space in a kind of a natural way. So that's where we are developing on top of the HoloLens platform. It's basically a way to take those digital assets and then render those assets, those digital artifacts or 3D models or information in the context of the physical space. So that's kind of the opportunity. It's these buildings, these infrastructure assets are evolving and changing over time. And you can basically render digital parts of that through the HoloLens and, and see a, a mixed reality view of the world. Well, using it. So for example, you've got a, let's just use a building, a skyscraper. You're, you're building a building. You've got the Revit models or the BIM models or the CAD models. So let's just, first of all, for people that maybe don't understand what those mean, what do those three terms mean and how are they being converted into XR technologies? I'll just start with that idea of like the building information model. And that could be any 3D model. And it's not just Revit. It could be a Bentley product could be a Tecla product, could be from any 3D CAD system, even something as simple as SketchUp, if people are aware of that. So it's a 3D model 
which has got dimensions and shape and size and color. And then these models have information or metadata uh, embedded in it. So objects now know, like, is it a door? Is it a window? Is it a chair? Is it a beam? And so we can take those objects that are modeled in a CAD system and pull them into a head-mounted display, the Microsoft HoloLens, and see those 3D models align with your physical space. So imagine you're walking through a building and you want to see, in this case, we focus on construction, like the next two weeks of construction that you have coming. You can put on the HoloLens and see that digital model projected into physical space uh, versus looking at that on a computer screen or, or referencing construction documents in a paper format. So it's really about bringing those 3D models into the into physical space. But what, what's the benefit of that? I've got my, my blueprints and I'm building a building. What does that afford users of this? What, what's the benefit to putting this into, let's say, a HoloLens or, or similar headset? Why would somebody want to do that? So like what we've seen with like a lot of our customers, it's, it's the ability to basically see those models, that content in the context of like real scale. So it's immersive. Uh, the interaction patterns too are like are like way more simple. Instead of like having to learn a mouse or a keyboard or spin around a model, at least with the Hollands. And also, I think this touches on VR too. You can basically you put the headset on, and the user interface is basically your head. You move around, you look around, and then you see the model just by moving your head and, and your gaze throughout the space. And then another thing that's kind of cool about the the next version of Hollands too, which we can probably get into is all the interaction patterns are just by using your hands. So you reach out and grab things, controls, models, and it's it's all just near interaction with your hands. And there's not a lot of like learning to do when it comes to like typical CAD systems. People get their CAD models in. Is there a, an automatic converter or I've got my, my BIM models, my building information models, I've got my CAD. What do I do? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, you, a lot of people just, anything you can get into Unity, you can basically get into VR or mixed reality experience. And that's sort of like custom one-off apps. And that's how we started just prototyping. But that basically led us to realize we could build a generic pipeline. So we've built a technology stack on the cloud on top of Azure, basically, that lets you import geometry models into our platform called Synchro, which is this 4D construction animation tool. And then automatically, we create a, a web endpoint that the Hollands can connect to and then pull that geometry down. So you literally just log in, enter the server and the port information and a 3D filter, and then we uh, can send that model geometry onto the HoloLens. We try to lower the bar of entry to make it as easy for as people to uh, get into it as possible. But of course, if you want to, if you want to just like hack and get into it, any 3D asset you can load into Unity would would basically allow you to build apps for this platform for Hololens. So I would assume, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I would assume this is very much experimental or still at the very beginning phases. Are you starting to see customers use this on job sites uh, as part of their daily workflow, or is this still kind of experimental? Where are we on the timeline? So I think we're still in that early experimental phase. We got involved with the early days with Microsoft through a series of, um, of hackathons that Microsoft, they went around the country basically and introduced the V1. And that was like two and a half, three years ago. And at that point, you had zero users, right? They were trying to connect with, uh, with developers and sort of that, that sort of hacker culture. Um, we got involved in a hackathon in Boston back then. And I think what's 
interesting about this is back then I brought a customer from a from Duke Energy, one of our users, and we brought their models, their content, their 4D kind of uh, simulation. And, and at that point, we were just using FBX and, and sort of animating content that way through export. Um, but we got real signal from the user that there was value here, and they started uh, using that app and testing it in in context. But it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was fully adopted, but we had a lot of early adopters that helped guide our experience and like our feature set and uh, and where we were taking the application. Um, and this was sort of in the nuclear space. Uh, it was in heavy infrastructure projects, uh, large tunnels. Um, and we also piloted it with a lot of um, like high-rise construction projects too, just to test it. So I think that was good. And then a lot of that feedback went back to Microsoft that um, helped inform where the next generation headset was going. And I think largely they tried to address a lot of those issues, issues that we were seeing uh, in the field that would prevent that kind of widespread adoption. So comfort, ease of use, uh, field of view, processing power, those kind of things. So I think they've made a lot of yeah, security. The fact that it can integrate with a hard hat or not was also another big one, obviously, in the, in the construction space. It feels like Microsoft really did it right, where they came out with a device that was very functional. And then instead of just having a bunch of hardware designers design the next one, they actually listened to the customers and said, what are the limitations? And I'm assuming they probably all got the same. <laughs> Everybody's in the same thing. It's really heavy on my nose, <laughs> crushing my face. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. If I've done hundreds of demos, and I, I'm sure you have too. You know what it's like, and it, it's crazy too. Because now having like uh, the Hollands too, it's uh, it's almost painful to go back to give a demo on. Uh, we actually sold our our Hololens ones. We got rid of them. It's just like I, every time I put it on, I get a headache, and I it wasn't it wasn't the optics. It was the weight of the thing, and it's funny because. Some the other day I was explaining to somebody and they said, "Oh, by the way, there's a head strap inside the box." Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, "Oh man, I feel dumb right now." <laughs> but so a lot of changes that. So yeah, the the fact that it was so front heavy, it would like weigh down on your nose. Most people were always complaining about the narrow kind of field of view, uh, like all these kind of things. Uh, the way you put it on, uh, the interaction pattern. By the way, the air tap thing. How many times do you have to give a demo and like you're just trying to teach someone how to tap these holograms? I did a talk the other day and I explained it that anybody over 30 struggles with that air tap. They poke at it. They, they reach for it. They just try to do anything but the actual air tap. And then you give it to a kid, uh, anybody under 30, and you say, here's, here's the interaction. You show them once and boom, boom, they got it. They got two hands in there. They're rotating things. They just figure it out in, immediately. So... You've been kind of working with this for a couple of years. You've figured out, okay, Microsoft HoloLens, we can import these models. Where is the ROI being driven from this? Why would I take the time to put this in a HoloLens, stand in a construction site, put this on my head? Like where are people, how would people use this and where are they using it? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of, for me, this goes back to like the, the, the source data. I think the first step is what's the ROI in making any 3D model? And in the construction space, this has been this evolution, right? Like we have had to go from evolving from 2D drawings, which goes way back, like hundreds hundreds of years, to then 
3D modeling, which is with like plywood and chipboard and wood and whatever. That's like the way you would build a 3D model is like you'd literally just cut it out of wood or foam core or something like this. And then eventually you could do 3D printing, right? You could 3D print from a CAD model and have a physical 3D print to look at. But that always kind of predicated on the fact that you're building a 3D model. So like the real question I think is like, what's what's that initial value proposition of the 3D model? And I think it's this is my belief. I think that anytime you make a, a mock-up, a 3D model, a, a simulation, a prototype, it lets everyone understand like what your intent is and then provide feedback and, and basically interrogate the mock-up and drive towards a better product in the end. And manufacturing aerospace has been working in that kind of space for, for a long time. And then the architecture construction industry has kind of slowly been picking this up in the last uh, 15, 20 years. So what I see is that investment in the 3D model, and then what we also bring is that is the fourth dimension, which is the construction schedule. So it's for, it's construction animation um, over time, and I think the value that the 4D like animation gives to a construction team is they can they can see into their future, like what's going to happen, and it means that by looking the future, they can identify risk and try and prevent problems from happening in a potential future. So it's it's a way to kind of immerse yourself in a digital construction workflow to just understand what's coming next, what's in your future. And then we've basically enabled all that content that you can author in these CAD systems like Synchro and Revit, whatnot, 3D modeling systems, and, and just carry that out into an immersive perspective experience with the with the HoloLens. And then going a bit further than just like a VR experience, you can actually go and position those models like in a room instead of like doing a 3D print. Basically, sometimes I refer to this as like, like you're printing the model with light with the HoloLens. It's like a print of like pixels in light and we can animate that model. And so you could never do... A, Hard to animate a, a printed yeah, or a physical yeah. model. You can't. Exactly. There's no way to animate a physical 3D print made of plastic. So for one, that gives you that. It's a full kind of immersive simulation. And then the other thing I've seen customers think is, is quite interesting is to be kind of standing in context and, and see that hologram lined up with your physical space. I think that gets really interesting, what it means to see that CAD model as an overlay that you can interact with and uh, gives you like x-ray vision. So that's kind of like pre-construction planning and kind of pre-simulation. Another situation we're looking at is okay, during construction, what if we start scanning the construction sequence as it occurs and produce a photogrammetry mesh? And then we could load that mesh back into the HoloLens later for like an operations and maintenance user. And if you think about that, now you're going beyond just the CAD model rendering in context, but uh, like a photogrammatically accurate mesh capture. And then then you really have kind of an X-ray opportunity vision of the world. I would think also being able to look at models on a desktop, so kind of God view, brings people together and you can look at these things, animations. But then when you bring it into the actual building, overlay the plans, I would think that by overlaying, let's say, for example, you're, you're in a building in its initial phases and you could overlay, okay, this is what the, where the HVAC system is going to go. And it's, it's like a one-to-one from the blueprints. <clears throat> and when somebody you know, using the scanning capabilities of a third-party scanner or even the HoloLens itself, you could look for anomalies in the millimeter uh, range. So if the HVAC system happens to be off by a couple millimeters, then maybe it's auto-flagged. Is that something, like, is that the kind of idea with this? 
I don't know if we can get to auto detection or not. That's a good use case. Um, or if that has to be processed like later and then and sort of like... Well, maybe you can annotate on it, say the HVAC system's here, but there's the plumbing is running through where the HVAC system's supposed to be. And because I know rework is a huge problem in the construction industry. It's a multi-billion dollar problem every year. Uh, you, you build you build a part of a building, you put your HVAC system in and then go, oh, yeah, the plumbing's supposed to go where that is and rip it all out and start over again. That we do support. Like, so we have this um, tracking of issues in the device. So okay. we can status objects as like installed or not installed or defective. And then we can also take like a photo and like drop a note. So that then becomes something from the field that can go back. Now, does that go back and alter the blueprints at all or annotate the blueprints, I guess? It doesn't go back into the blueprints directly. It goes back into the Synchro 4D, you could say like this digital twin. So it goes back to the database as an event in the timeline. So in fact, you can, kind of, you can basically scrub backwards and forward through the model and see status progression as it takes place. So that's actually really another interesting use case we developed is this ability to status work completed as it goes in. So it's like model-based tracking and completions versus just a, like a daily log written down on a piece of paper. Um, and then what that leads to when you basically, when you get to a model-based tracking solution, then now you've got basically a historical record of work that was actually completed, observed, captured, recorded. And if you think about that, you can compare that against the schedule. You can use that to start issuing payment basically for work complete. So like digital audit trail, you could say. Yeah, that's really amazing. Um, when you're making these digital twins, especially in a new building, I, I guess they're, you're pulling them directly from architecture renderings and that sort of thing. How, what's the conversion? What is the process to create a digital twin of a space? Although I'm, I'm on your website now, it says the process, combined engineering data, reality data, and IoT data. Number two, create an immersive experience using 3D and 4D. Three, gain a deeper understanding of infrastructure assets. Yeah. But I'm assuming there's more to it. <laughs> That's, let's say, I mean, basically, it's um, we can import from basically, like I said before, sort of any kind of 3D model system. Uh, that becomes, that's the 3D asset import. Um, we can also import any schedule information from like P6 or Microsoft Project, uh, link those together. Then on the back end, we basically wrote this Unity converter. Um, that takes all that geometry that gets imported into our synchro engine, that digital twin kind of aggregator, and then we can basically pull out that content and uh, and render that inside of Unity. So we basically wrote a pipeline to go from any 3D asset into Unity as, and then render that into the HoloLens. How many uh, active projects are, are using HoloLens right now? Is this a... Is this just something that you're kind of working with internally and then saying Duke Energy or one of the companies, hey, do you want to give this a try with us? And it's kind of like a, a partnership for R&D or is this something that you're you're rolling out as, hey, we've got this product and it's part of, part of our workflow now? And what does that look like? It's early adopters. So usually it was uh, construction companies that had, luckily they had some some budget and some innovation money to spend and work with us. And so typically they'd buy one or two HoloLens and then and then we would go do basically co-development, hackathon style work with those customers. And we'd build basically working prototypes 
with specific customers, but then we would take all the learning from those prototypes. And this was like companies like uh, Skanska, Balfour Beatty, uh, Mortensen in the US, um, Tesla also in the US, uh, I mentioned Duke Energy. And so they would sort of funnel into our development pipeline. And then eventually that kind of aggregated and got us to the point where, where we felt like we could actually put an app out onto the Microsoft store. So that was cool. We wanted to make it like real, you know, so we have an app It was published to the Microsoft store and worked with the Holland's one. So I think that was kind of our roadmap, a lot of iterative uh, prototyping, but eventually leading towards a product that like anyone who had a Holland's could download and, and make use of. Again, I think that was that early adopter stage. I think that there was that, that smaller group of people that we're buying Holland's One and willing to kind of help us evolve that experience. And I think as we go into Holland's Two, it'll just expand. That's at least the hope. Even though it's early days, are you seeing like ROI being generated from this? Or is this just a better way to visualize? Like how are you measuring baseline without this to with it? That almost comes back to the challenge of... Um, 3D or 4D versus paper, not paper, or digital, not digital. Because how do like, you prove it to somebody? <laughs> it's anecdotally. <laughs> well, it's so expensive. Like you don't have the luxury with big construction projects to go. Like let's make one analog and then let's do another digital and see what happens. Like it's it's such an expensive proposition. So it, usually when a company goes in, they're just they're just sort of like all in. They're just going digital and they're building 3D models and they're uh, requiring their subcontractors to deliver like fully detailed fabrication models. And they just go for it. They deliver that project. I think what I've heard from an ROI perspective is when you're using these tools, this kind of this idea of BIM building information modeling, you see uh, reductions in, we, uh, in rework, more efficient like productivity in the field, better uh, communication, which reduces like errors in the field, um, more confidence in the schedule and the program uh, because you can you can see it in a digital way first. And I think all those benefits just sort of cascade into the use of like the Hololens and mixed reality. It's I haven't seen where like you would go to Hololens if you don't already have kind of investment and a belief in that kind of digital. Uh, information process first, like sort of the investment in building the 3D models and and sort of, and sort of that change in culture around project delivery. So I think it's going to naturally kind of evolve as as more construction companies and architects continue to to develop 3D assets and kind of keep building that like that digital twin. Then the Hollands is just a natural extension of that process. I don't know if I. You know, it's like without investing in all that 3D model, then you can't. There's not a clear way to get into the Hololens and the in the use cases we're looking at. Are there still companies not using 3D when building infrastructure? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Uh, I would be surprised. Like, how is that possible in 2019? Yeah, you're <laughs> exactly. Well, there's still a lot of construction that happens in old analog ways. It might still be digital, like 2D, you know, using uh, AutoCAD or MicroStation. And then 3D, it's still evolving, and especially construction is still emerging. Wow. It's, uh, it's amazing that we're still at the very beginning of just the digital transformation, I guess. Here we are on HoloLens and 3D and moving into AR and VR and mixed reality. And some people are still using paper and cardboard models of things. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And well, that's too, there's, there's definitely 
tiers in the market, I would say. So like the the customers that are adopting um, like the Hollands and all this 3D, they're generally like tier one major contractors building huge, big infrastructure jobs. So if it's a new airport or if, if it's a new like bridge or tunnel, probably good chance there is 3D models there and there's like digital process in place. As you sort of scale down, if it's like smaller scale, like residential, uh, single family housing, probably you see less use of the 3D models. Yeah, it's interesting. My brother rolled out his uh, his paper blueprints. They're building a house and he rolled them all out yesterday and it was all 2D, which was great, but it's a one house and and I get that now. I see it's, it's going to take a minute to trickle down to those use cases because of the cost. Over the last kind of five years, let's say, are you seeing a dramatic decrease in the costs to develop? 3D versus 2D, or or is it still kind of still expensive? Or uh, well, the software is not expensive. I think the cost comes from like um, training and kind of large like process change within the organization. Hmm. Interesting. So like the cost is more like what's it cost to like to basically train a staff, like an entire like division, or like upskill everybody. Um, if you think about this, the software itself is actually hasn't really changed price in years, like in 15, 20 years. I think that's the real cost. And then uh, maybe fear that if you implement something new, that it won't work. But I don't know if that makes sense. Like the cost is not the software. Like I said this on another podcast, and I think it's true. It's This is no longer a technology problem. This is an adoption problem. Exactly. It's like a cultural problem. And in fact, the question, like your ROI questions are really good. Um, I was running a workshop a couple, maybe it's like a month or two ago. And it was based on this idea called Questions Are the Answers, based on this book I read by this MIT author. He uses this technique called like Questions Are the Answers, where you try and get people to like only formulate questions and not answers. And then, uh, so the question I had, it, you know, I was basically saying like, what is preventing the adoption of like XR and Hollands and sort of 3D in, in the market or in your workplace? And then the questions that people wrote, instead of like answer, they had to come with the questions. And then the questions that came to the top were, how do I prove this to management? How do I capture the value and prove there's ROI? Or how do I convince management? And it wasn't like, why is the technology not working? Or how come this feature isn't there? It was all about all the questions that came up were cultural. How do you prove ROI? How do you how do you kind of um, present this to management to get total buy-in? What are some of the things that you've found to help with that adoption? Because I think you have a, a unique insight into this, and in that you're you're actively working on this technology. You brought Duke Energy in, for example. How did that conversation go? Was it? Uh, did you find a, a champion within the company to to back that? Or what we've seen in you know doing a lot of these podcasts is that it comes down to having a champion within the organization that's high enough up that can kind of get buy-in from the C levels. Um, because if you don't have that buy-in, it ends up being a small POC and then dying. I think that's exactly right. I think I can validate that idea definitely. So it's what I'm finding is when you find that champion, like the guy we had from Duke Energy was willing to fly up to Boston on a week's notice, and and then he could go and went back and got them to buy Hollands and implement it and drive that. So what I'm finding is it's, I think what's helping with the adoption is to connect with like-minded kind of spirited people who have this, they have this belief in it. And it's like a partnership. Like I don't go out and spend a lot of time pitching it or trying to convince people of like the value of it yet. It's more like, let's connect with people in industry who also have this belief that there's something there. And like, what can we discover 
together versus me trying to like pitch it. And so for me, it's been a lot about that. It's about finding people who are out there in the real world trying to do work. And if if they think there's something there, then I think there's something there. And that starts to cycle even back to Microsoft. You know, they're like the hardware provider and then we're building a software layer and then there's the actual real user. So I think that's that's what I've been working. It's like I everything that we've done has been always with an actual customer and a use case in, in mind and like testing it in like the real world. So it's not abstract theoretical research. At least that's how we've approached it. Yeah, I think it's it, that's the way we got to be looking at this. There's obviously researchers doing great research on theoretical, hey, what if scenarios. But I think practically wise, it's, yeah, what if we use this to save money? <laughs> that's really, what if we use this to save lives and money? That's really the only what if question that, that matters at C-suite. Amazing. And that's that challenge of like, how do you, and I think this is an interesting software challenge I'd throw out there maybe for anyone listening on the podcast. And because I don't have an answer, it's one I think I want to, would be fun to solve, which it comes back to that ROI question, right? Let's say you're using these, these great new tools, you're building 3D models, you're building 4D models, you're going out in the field and you're solving problems. How do you easily, effectively, quickly capture that? you've solved some kind of problem in a digital way without getting in the way, right? And then and start to maybe capture that value somehow, right? Because I've seen a lot of cases where someone will be looking at a, a 4D model, which is this, the construction schedule, you know, animating and go like superintendent, go, wait, that doesn't make sense. That won't work. Or I've seen collisions of um, a huge piece of uh, HVAC equipment. We'll animate that thing coming into a building and it will literally clash with the steel. So imagine if, if that, piece of equipment had arrived on the site in real time and they lifted it with the hoist, it, it would have like made a collision and it's like you, you could have like impacted the schedule by weeks. And that's a lot of money, right? But how do you, whenever you're simulating, it almost gets taken for granted. Oh, it doesn't work and you fix it and you move on to the next task. And so it's very easy to lose track of, I think, all those little moments where, well, maybe you did just save like a ton of money. I don't know how you do it without some kind of quantum simulator. I don't know. It's like, but if there is a way that would be um, a really cool piece of tech to build. Are you doing anything in, in the AI space as well? It seems like everyone is, but um, practically I would say I haven't, haven't got into that yet. There's a lot of talk, a lot of discussion, but we haven't, haven't figured that one out yet. Obviously there's a lot of information that is being collected, but we haven't kind of analyzed the results of all that. So that's an interesting option, maybe. Maybe AI, if you started to compare, I mean, almost like micro changes maybe people made in the 3D model, could it abstract some value out of that? Well, the thing is, you guys have access to enormous amounts of data. Mm -hmm. And when training uh, AI algorithms to do whatever it is you, you want to look for, the first thing is if you have the data and you guys have the data. So it's a matter of how do we apply this to maybe uh, look and, and determine based on the different information that's coming in, you could look at uh, is a, a supplier delay imminent or is there something on the work site going to cause problems down the road? Really modeling out uh, scenarios, I think, is the best use case of this technology of AI anyway, is modeling scenarios. I think that's where it's going to be really become interesting when you combine AI and, and XR, when you can say, hey, here's the progression if we do this, and here's the progression if we change this variable. 
and you can look at the build times, build cost over a, a movable scale. So if you've got the HoloLens on, you're looking at a building construction site and you grab the slider and you say day one is dig the hole and day 150 is full buildings, you've got that slider. And based on changing different variables, then you can now look at that real time and say, hey, that 150-day completion time is now 200 days because of this, this, and this. Yeah, definitely. If all the historical trends and uh, construction data could be fed into the model and it could basically auto-generate a construction sequence for sure. And then the Hollands becomes just a way to kind of visually interrogate that and, and see it. I've heard it mentioned that AI is the real driver of this technology and XR is really the visualization of the data. And it really, it makes sense when you think of it that way though. By the, <laughs> I just read this morning, by 2030, There'll be half a trillion sensors, IoT sensors around the world in everything from your shoes to your light posts. Yeah. How does a human, any human really make sense of that much data coming in? And, and the answer is you can't. So how do you then apply smart algorithms to give you better data in a way that, <laughs> that us mere humans can understand? So. I think that's where things will definitely, I think it'll be interesting. Every time I'm in like a like an Uber these days, I sort of am thinking about these cars where they got like multiple smartphones like pinned into the dashboard. Then there's like the dashboard and there's like all these kind of heads up ambient pieces of data feeding into like into the mind. And it's like, it feels like that's this, it's like this early hacked state where eventually all those controls basically disappear, fade away, and they're always maybe... Uh, it's just on-demand information flowing into a pair of like glasses or contact lenses, whatever it ends up being. But essentially, I feel like we're already in this kind of augmented world, but it's all kind of but clunky. It's ghetto. Yeah, it's ghetto. <laughs> exactly. It's super yeah. ghetto. Everything's like hacked together, you know? Yeah, it's like, you got like the same thing is with like Uber Eats. You go to a restaurant and they got like six iPads. It's like, really? You need six iPads to take orders? Like, this is ridiculous. And there's cables everywhere and it's like, oh my God. I think you're absolutely right. We went from brick phones, you know, those big ass brick phones with a bag and to a tiny phone to now like smartphones. And that process took, I don't know, 20 years, I guess. We're kind of in brick phone phase of this technology. Like in, in 10 years from now, you're going to look at the HoloLens 1 and laugh at it and be like, oh my God, I can't believe we used to wear that ridiculous thing on our head. And you're going to look at like the HTC Vive because I, I have one of the Vive Pre's, like the very first one. And I mean... Like all the sensors are showing and it's giant face mask looking scuba thing. We're going to miniaturize that. And probably what it'll do is AR and VR will probably just merge and you'll have a pair of glasses that has full 200 200 degrees of uh, field of view and full occlusion when you're in VR mode. It just kind of darkens out the world and goes into VR mode. And in AR mode, it just lightens up the glasses and you can see the world around you. But like you said, and, and to quote, uh, I believe it's Sundir Pichai from, um, from Google, the device, the very idea of the device is going to fade away. So you're not going to just hold up your phone to, every time you want to check a message. It just will be intuitive. Yeah, it's really interesting that, that Microsoft uh, has spent so much time on the user interactions, um, being able to use your hands naturally. And I think we're, we're just at the beginning of that. And, you know, somebody said to me, how are we going to communicate with these devices? And I was like, I don't know, man, maybe we'll talk to it. Maybe you'll wink at it. Maybe you'll just think it. But the reality is nobody really knows right now. And that's, I think the, the, the excitement of it is that we're at the precipice of the next computing platform. 
and nobody really knows how to use it to its full potential even close. So there's so much opportunity here and so many problems and challenges within the industry to solve. So like, how do you solve the security issue when, you know, when somebody puts on your headset, can they start to be your avatar in the virtual world? Yeah. Well, it's um, cool. that's interesting. I think it's, that is, I think a really good point. It's like such a, a wide open space, but that's, that's what makes it like so interesting and so fun. And it's also a space that's been socialized, honestly, in like sci-fi films for like a long time. Usually you see it in a film and there's always holograms, but no one's wearing anything on their head. You know, it's just, there's just a magical hologram. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. One of our investors said, when are we going to, when are we going to have holograms floating in the air? I'm like, you know, and I said, well, you know, we can do that now. He goes, no, without the glasses. I'm like, uh, maybe never. <laughs> you need to stop. But it's funny. Cause like you've, you know, it's like this idea has been with like the culture for like a long time. You know, I always think back to like, I think it was Prometheus or something where that drone is going. Like for me, I think about that as like this, a great digital twin example of like drones flying through the alien cavern, doing real time, basically laser scanning and then producing a real time holographic representation back in the command center. Like that to me is like, super cool like it was imagined in science fiction but we're actually getting to the point where that could almost be real except you do have to wear the headset there's nothing wrong with the headsets that's where you know everybody's trying to get to this point where we don't need headsets but i i think that's really um not reasonable no and i'll tell you what too the um with the hollands too i don't know if you've experienced this yet but it, i would love to show it to you if you get the chance it supports multi-user just like any other multi-user game. So when we when we did this launch in uh, in Barcelona, we had multiple. We had like four. Like, I think we had like twenty Hollands at some point, all in the session. And we had to build an app even just to manage which devices were in and out of session because everyone was sharing the same information at the same time. So we, you know, we had three people in a room, and with the hand interaction, it's super cool. Everyone's reaching in and. and you, you can literally pick up holograms and pass them back and forth to one another. And they have this like sense of like, it's really there. And then, and if people miss the grab, it's like, it drops down. Cause we, you know, turn on gravity and it's like, Oh, and you watch them like look down, like they actually dropped an object, you know, and like pick it back up. And the cool thing is it's like, it's shared experience. And I think that's another cool thing with the Hollands. It's like, you're still seeing your surroundings. You're seeing the other people in the room. You're all seeing the hologram at the same time. And it's like, it becomes this believable thing you know it's like literally changing your definition of of reality at that point. my favorite is when people are in vr or ar and they they walk around digital objects they, they move out of the way of something they could just walk through <laughs> yeah we saw people afraid to squeeze on like the tower crane like no no grab it grab it and they but they kind of like hesitate am i gonna break it <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm gonna ask one last question greg because we're, we're running uh, late here a bit but what problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Mm, I would like to just make information like this digital space that we live in, like just become basically hands-free. I would like to see that evolution out of like these phones people carry around and, uh, and just deliver information on time where you want it when you need it and and specifically in construction it's to sort of like just get all these digital assets to people in the most natural way possible so I, that's where i see kind of like an evolution of of how people 
um, understand buildings, architecture, and sort of information uh, in general. So I'm, I think I'm just along for that ride, uh, evolving our understanding of a problem. Yeah, I think there's the being able to visualize things in, a, in different ways is really powerful. And uh, I think these technologies really are going to unleash the human potential. I hope so. Definitely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Greg. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast is another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing businesses across every industry. To learn more about Greg and the amazing work they're doing at Bentley, visit Bentley.com, B-E-N-T-L-E-Y.com. Thanks so much, Greg. Hey, thank you, Alan. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions. We're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.